Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kyle. Uh, The scripture this morning I'll be reading is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who I haven't got the chance to meet yet, I'm Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to continue through our study in the book of Philippians, which is one of my favorites. Um, As we're getting ready to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it reminded me of a family, uh, a family of believers that recently felt led by God to get involved in the adoption process. Uh, foster care um, service. They wanted to go and be available for that. And so they went and they went through all the background checks and training and uh, they got approved. And then they're just waiting for the call as that works and uh, didn't fully know what to expect. And then the call came in and they did say that they wanted to limit it to one child at a time and they wanted that child to be four years or younger. Well, when the call came in, it was two little boys. One was four, and the other one was five. And so they said, okay, uh, we'll, we'll take them in. And uh, it, it has been quite a story. They, uh, they showed up on the doorstep. All they had was the clothes that they were wearing and little lives full of trauma and abuse. They had just been yanked out of a very, very violent event and taken by strangers to strangers and two vastly different worlds were about to collide. As the days went on, the boys behaved in the only way that they always had, using violence and language that revealed the brokenness that they were rescued from. There was need for immediate and deep love, but also instruction and correction if they were going to start on a better path. One time one of the boys was cursing and acting out, and the dad decided that a good punishment might be to go for a walk, a fast walk, a long walk, and so they walked. And when it was clear that the little guy was out of gas, they headed back toward the house. And as they got about a block away from the house, the dad sat down on the curb and talked to the little boy and explained to him that he was part of their house now and that he was loved and that he was safe and that they cared for him deeply. He calmly explained what he expected the behavior to be and if he disobeyed, they would go for another walk. And he asked the little boy if he understood what he was saying and he shook his head, but as he did, he had to be 
looking down at the scars on his arms and all over his body and not really being able to process what it meant that somebody loved him. And so, after they had their little talk, they stood up and the dad threw him on his shoulders and carried him home. The next day, they went for a walk again. And they keep walking and they keep walking. Then the little boy's doing better. He's sleeping and eating. His behavior is not perfect. And he's still in need of a lot of help. But they're making progress. That came to my mind because as I was thinking of the book of Philippians, it's, it sort of struck me that that's kind of what Paul is doing with the Philippian believers here. That we've looked as we've come through chapter 1 to this point. Paul is not with them, but he wants to encourage them. They're about 10 years old in their faith at this time, and they've been going through a lot. And they're starting to develop some fissures, some problems that need to be corrected. And he wants to sit down and have a curb talk with them, if you will. And I love the way we've seen in chapter 1 how Paul led out. He didn't lead out by, hey, What's going on over there? I hear you guys can't get along. Why are you doing this? That's not what I taught you. Instead, throughout chapter 1, Paul led out with the positive. Just like this dad on the curb. You need to know that you're loved and that you're cared for and you're safe. Paul led out with, in verse 3 of chapter 1, telling them how thankful he was for them. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he reminded them that he was praying for them in their growth in the gospel. In verse 6 of chapter 1, he said, Be encouraged that God is faithful to his work. He has started the work, and he will continue the work. In verse 12, he said, Be encouraged by my example. I am joyfully giving my life for the work of the gospel. And then down in verse 28 of chapter 1, he says, Don't be afraid. He's encouraging. He's positive. And I love in verse 27 of chapter 1, it begins a transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2, where we're going to start to address some of these things. And he gives a reminder in chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, as citizens of heaven. Just like this dad said, you're in our family now. Paul is saying, You are citizens of heaven. You are not just citizens of Philippi. You are not just the people you were before I showed up. You are now citizens of heaven. And you need to remember whose you are. That's easy to forget, isn't it? I love how Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3. In verses 1 through 4, he said, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's interesting language, but he said, you died 
Basically, when you came to Christ and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you took your life and you laid it at his feet. You said, I am broken and I am sinful and I cannot make my way to God. The only way that I can get to God is through you. You are my Savior and everything in my life is now yours. I don't have the control of my life anymore. It's yours. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. Everything that I have is yours, and you are in total control. Think about that. We all have hopes and dreams and things that are important to us and aspirations. All of those things that we hold dear in our life We gave to Jesus and said, this is what I want, but you do with it what you will. So this morning, let me ask you the question. I mean, what is most important in your life besides your relationship with Jesus? I'm sure as I ask that question, something popped into your mind. What is the most important thing in your life beside your relationship with Jesus? Now imagine that Jesus took that thing and he took it away from you and said, that's a very good thing, but my plan is to use that in a different way than you think. What do you think about that? If you said, oh, no, you don't. You can have anything except for, then Jesus isn't your Lord. You know, we had the example of Job. Job had everything taken away from him. You know, and sometimes it seems like a caricature, and yet he was a man. He had virtually everything taken away, and he said, you know, the Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus, God himself, emptied himself to come to be a sacrifice for us. And as he's praying in the garden, said to God, I really don't want to go through with this. If there's any other way that this can go down, could we do it a different way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's where we're at here. And this is what Paul is reminding the Philippians about, is they are not their own. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verses 19 and 20. says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That is the reminder that we need to have forefront in our mind. That is what Paul was trying to encourage the Philippians with. And yet sometimes we make excuses for our behaviors. And I'm sure the Philippians were justifying some of the things that they were doing. You know, we say, well, it's just my personality. My personality is I'm brash or I'm short-tempered or I'm a worrier. I can't let things go. Or famously, I'm a number eight. 
whatever that means. Right? We say, well, it's just the way I'm wired. That's, that's, that's just who I am. And let me, <laughs> let me tell you, if my personality contradicts the Scripture, okay? If my personality contradicts the Scripture, then it is sin. There are no excuses because that's the way I'm wired. All right? And we need to take that seriously. Now, that's not to say that there are things that we struggle with. Absolutely, we do, and we need help. When our personality tends to go this way, that way, the other way, that's inconsistent with Scripture and the sin, then we need help. Sometimes we need help from our family or our pastors. Are there some things that are in our lives that are so messed up, we need professional help. But we can't just sit back and say, oh, well, it's just the way I am. There's no other sin that we would say, oh, well, okay, well, that's just the way you're, no. We don't have to settle for that. Because you know what? Your sin does not define you. Jesus does. So that's where Paul started with in chapter 1, and now we're pivoting as he reminded them that they're citizens of heaven. In chapter 2, in the first four verses that we're looking at today, it sets up as an if-then statement. Any computer programmers out there? Any Excel nerds out there? Okay, if this is true, then this will happen. This is an if-then setup for us. So the if is in verse 1. And here, Paul is going to express four personal realities, re realities in verse 1 that are the basis for the Philippians' common bond of unity. And these four realities are, in, uh, the these are all in verse 1, the encouragement in Christ, the consolation of love, the fellowship with the Spirit, and affection and mercy. So... What he's saying in this if statement, some people actually translate it as, since these things are true, but I don't think that completely hits the mark. And I don't think it's a completely, these things might not be true or they may be true. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think Paul is using this rhetorical tool to get the Philippians to, to think back about their experience in each one of these areas, in each one of these realities in their life, and to revisit them, to stir them up, if you will, as a motivation for what is to come. So when he says, if there be any encouragement in Christ, Paul is pointing out the power of Jesus. And this is what he did through most of chapter one, when he was talking about the fact that the enemies were trying to stop the advancement of the gospel, and they thought they had done it by throwing him in prison. And God used them, the ones that had thrown him in prison, to advance the gospel. And then there were other people that saw what was going on, and they were going to take personal advantage, and out of motives of their own, selfish motives, they were going to use the gospel for their own means. And God used that 
to advance the gospel. And so Paul was reminding the Philippians that Jesus cannot be slowed, stopped, or thwarted. He is the creator God of the universe. He is all-powerful, and you are part of his family. Are you, AGC, look at me, are you encouraged by that in your life? You are his. He can't be stopped. You watch the news. I know you do. And you think, the wheels are coming off. It's going crazy. The, the, the crazy people are running things, and, and there's no hope. Well, Paul could have said the same thing as he was chained to a jailer, right? And yet, what looks like chaos, what looks like the wrong thing, what looks like just total godlessness, God can use to advance the gospel. There is nobody that can compete with him. Nobody can slow him down. This is what Paul was saying to the Philippians. Don't go weak in the knees. You are Christ's, and he is the victor, and nobody can compete with him. Do you remember being encouraged by that? Have you ever been encouraged personally by that? When you wanted to talk to somebody about spiritual things, Maybe it was sharing the gospel with somebody and you were a little bit nervous and so you prayed about it. And then you remembered, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter about you. It is the power of the gospel. It is the power of God to do this work and that he can even use you. And that's an encouragement, isn't it? Because none of us feel up to the task, do we? If the salvation of this world depends on my abilities, it's doomed. God can use everybody in this room, anybody in this room, to advance his gospel. That is the encouragement of Christ. And Paul was trying to explain that to them. Be encouraged. If there is an encouragement in Christ, and then he goes on to say, if there is consolation of love, this is an interesting word. It's the only time that this word is used this way in the New Testament. And it's, it's talking about, one commentator put it this way, the source of Christian comfort lies in the grace of finding Christ present in affliction. So the question for us this morning is, what is your affliction? I know there are people in this room this morning that are sad, I know there are people in this room this morning that are hurting and that are confused. I know there are people with all kinds of things going on, right? We all have afflictions in our lives, don't we? And what Paul is encouraging them is remember in your affliction the presence of Christ in your life. You know, I know I've used this example before, but it's such a powerful one in Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, and they were thrown in the fire. And when he looked in, he didn't see three. He saw four men standing in the fire because they weren't alone. Jesus was with them. And I'm here telling you this morning, I don't know what is going on in your life. But I can tell you, if you're a believer in Christ, you are not alone. And Paul is stirring that up with the Philippians. 
and they're sitting there thinking about the hardships in their life and the hardships that they've gone through and how Jesus was present and how Jesus was their comforter. And then he talks about the fellowship of the Spirit. This is a scary one for some of us, right? Especially those of us that have Baptist backgrounds, and I say that lovingly. This Holy Spirit stuff can get kind of scary, but the, the blessings mentioned in this verse are as a result of us being in Christ. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. How do we have communion with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is active, that he is convicting us of sin, and he is encouraging us toward righteousness. He is comforting us in our sorrows. He is always there with us. The question this morning for us is, have you ever had, do you remember a time when you had communion with the Spirit? When the Spirit of God moved in you to do something and you stepped out in obedience and did that thing. When you had crushing grief that no words could comfort and the Spirit of God came alongside of you in a way that you can't put words to. Right? That is the fellowship of the Spirit. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, remember this. Remember whose you are. Remember the blessings of being Christ. And then he goes down and he says, the affection and mercy, or it could be compassionate mercy. Remember what you have been forgiven, the mercy that has been shown you. You know you don't deserve the righteousness of Jesus. You know in your heart you don't deserve to stand before God in holiness because you are not holy. And yet, God in his mercy took your sin away and replaced it with the perfect righteousness that you could never attain. He's saying to the Philippians, remember that. Remember when I showed up and Lydia was there, and I shared with her the gospel, and that God opened her eyes, and you remember the change that happened. You remember how God wanted to start a work in, in Philippi and how that when the, the demon-possessed girl turned her eyes to Jesus and the Philippian jelly, remember all that. None of these people deserved any of that, right? And yet God in his merciful love showed mercy and, and, and gave you a new life. Do we... Friends, remember that often and daily that we don't deserve what God has given us. It is because of his mercy that he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we've done. None of us could ever deserve what God has done for us. So all of this and the reason for reminding them of this is to explain to them the basis for the unity that he's going to call them to. He's not just telling them to get along. He's not just trying to produce conformity or uniformity, but he wants them to flourish and he wants them to be fulfilled. So if these realities are true, then verse 2 Make my joy complete, which when I read that, I had to think, I go, 
make my joy complete. Why, why do I care if somebody else's joy is complete? Now, I'm a nice guy, and I care about you, but, I mean, it seemed like an odd statement, but then you remember that Paul is their spiritual father. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have it, all of this stuff. They, everything they knew was what Paul had taught them. Paul was a very, very important person in their life. And so by him saying, make my joy complete, there was an implied fact that his joy wasn't complete, right? If he says, make my joy complete, it means that it isn't already. It's only partial. At this point, he was joyful that they were in the faith. He was joyful that they were in Christ. And that was, that, that was an amazing thing that God had done in that city. But his joy wasn't complete yet. And why was that? Why was his joy not complete yet? It's because they had yet to completely mature in Christ. And his love and compassion wasn't totally flowing through them yet. His joy would be complete. 3 John 1, 4 says, uh, uh, a father's joy is complete when he knows that his children walk with the Lord. Not just know the Lord, that's the important, but also walk with the Lord. So he doesn't just tell them to go out and do it, he shows them how, and that's where we're going to get into. And as I thought about that, I thought about an old-time leadership guy, Stephen Covey, and I think Parker may have even stole my thunder on that a couple weeks ago. But Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, in habit number two, he says, begin with the end in mind. To begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. It means to know when you're, you, where you're going so that you better understand where you are now and the steps you need and that the steps you take will always be in the right direction. Wow, that was hard to read. So Paul is setting this out saying, this is where we want to go. How do we get there? Well, how do we get there is... In, in verse 2, by thinking the same way. <clears throat> How do they think the same way? Nobody thinks the same way, right? Well, thinking the same way um, is, is to think like Jesus, right? It's not that we're going to all of a sudden not have our own opinions, but we need to think like Jesus. And that's where I go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He is your Lord. He is the one that thinks rightly. We need to think like him. If we all submit to his authority and think like him, if we all focus on how does Jesus think, then even though we're going to look differently, we're all going to be unified in the way that we think. So is my day filled with what is Jesus going to want me to do in light of this meeting I'm going into? How does Jesus want me to react to this? What does God want me to do in this situation? Are we thinking during our day about 
How would Jesus think about that? You remember, what was it, 20 years ago, everybody had those little bracelet things? It should have said, WWJT, what would Jesus think? You know, it's a, it's a rabbit trail. But is that part of our life? Do we think, I have a Lord that I answer to. And my actions today and my thoughts today need to be consistent with what he wants. What would he think about this? What would he do? The next thing, uh, the next practice is having the same love. Talks about the consolation of love up in the four realities down here. He talks about having the same love, the unconditional, undeserved, unending love of Jesus flowing through us. All right? This isn't me ginning up some kind of happy thoughts about people around me that are disingenuous, okay? This is me looking at somebody that I don't like and saying, God, I know you love them more than I can understand. You love them more than I can even conceive of love, and I need you to help me here because I'm in the way. I know you want to do a work in their life, and I know you want to love them, and I don't want to get in the way. I want your love to freely flow through me to other people. Now, it's easy for us to do here, right? Because we all like each other. But the reality is our days are filled with people that just rub us the wrong way, right? And are we going to be agents? Are we going to be practicing that kind of love? The next practice is unity of the spirit, united in spirit. Again, this comes back to submitting our will to the will of the spirit of God. So as I personally submit my will to the will of the spirit, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do things that are consistent with the spirit of God, right? You do the same thing and you're going to go out... We're doing different things in different ways, and we look differently, but we have that same unity. God will not contradict himself. If we will, as individuals, submit ourselves to the authority and the leadership of the Spirit in our life, each one of us, that is how we attain unity, because the unity is in the Spirit of God. Do you believe that? Because you look, even at a room this size, you say, there is no way that this many people can be agreed on everything. And that's not what it's talking about. Some of you are going to want to go out for Chinese. Some of you are going to want to go out for barbecue. So, you know, we, we don't all think the same. It's not uniformity. It's unity in the spirit and that we treat each other with love and respect and care. And we've got to get going. Okay. The last one is the intent of the Spirit. What is the purpose? It, the purpose that they are to apply themselves to is the gospel, but it's not just the gospel. It's more than just the gospel. It's not limited to just that. It's submitting to God's authority and God's will in every aspect of our life. So he goes on to talk about how they are to do that now. And here is where he, he starts off by saying, don't do these things. In verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit. So he does say, this is not the way to do it. Okay? Now, we see in our lives and in our culture and our society, the way that usually things get done is by 
If something needs to be done, I'm going to go out and do it. I don't care who I have to walk over to get it done. I don't care, you know, whether, whatever. It's all about me and getting done what I need to do. The problem with that is that's not moral, that's not right, and that's not Christ-like. And so the temptation for us is we see those in our society that get ahead behaving this way, and there's always that little temptation, isn't there? Maybe I could just get me a little bit of that and get ahead. And yet, Paul is encouraging the Philippians here, don't do this. Don't follow the world's example. But in verses 3 and in 4, he says, you are to do it with humility. A dictionary definition of humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. Not yourself. It's not you think you're awful and you're not worth anything and all that stuff, but you're not the most important person in the room. You've been around people, right? And they think they're more important than anybody else and everybody should serve them and all of that. What he's saying is you should put yourself under others. Consider, it goes on to say, others is more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And the word only really isn't in the Greek. It was added because context kind of makes it make sense, but it takes away a little bit, I think, of the strength of the argument where we're not to look on our own interest, but the interest of others. That's not to say that you don't take care of yourself. Of course you do. I mean, the default of life is we're going to take care of ourselves. But what Paul is trying to impress upon them is it's more important that you look at the needs of others. You've probably never heard of him, but there was a guy named John Harper. He lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and John was a preacher in Scotland. And he got to be pretty well known. He had a little church of 25 that grew to 500. He got to be known around the world and had some opportunities to, to go speak and do different things. Well, in 1906, his wife died giving birth to their first child, Nan. And um, after that happened, um, he had a speaking opportunity at Moody Church in Chicago. So he and Nan decided to travel to Chicago for this engagement. Unfortunately, they decided to travel on the HMS Titanic, if you've heard of it before. And uh, after the ship hit the iceberg, uh, John took his little girl he put her in a lifeboat and said goodbye, and he turned around and headed back to the ship, and he started preaching the gospel to anyone who would hear. He went to each deck that had people gathered on those decks, and as it slid, slid into the water and he was in the water, he was grabbing everybody that he could find to tell them about Jesus, because he knew that any minute they were going to go to their eternal destiny, and they had to know the gospel. They had to know about Jesus. And he didn't even consider the fact that he was giving up his life because he was so concerned about the people around him hearing about Jesus that that was the only thing that was important. Their need was more important than his need. You think, if I was in that situation, I can't imagine doing that. And sometimes we doubt our own ability. We say, well, I could never be like that. John had a vision of who God was and what God did for him. John had a vision of the four realities that we started with, and that was the 
driving factor of his life. What Paul is doing here with the, Ephesians, the Philippians is he's lifting their eyes up off of this world to the world that is to come, to the relationship that we have with Jesus, to what is going to be eternal and not temporal. You can be like John Harper. You have to put your affections, you have to put your attention on Jesus Christ. Not just your faith and hope for eternity, but all of your affections submitted to him. And what greater joy than to be able to share in the fellowship of suffering of Jesus, telling others about him. That is and can be and should be our greatest joy. So let's go back to these little boy, this little boy sitting on the curb talking to his dad. He needed a behavior change for the good. The best and the only way for that to happen was for him to truly know that he was loved and a part of a family that accepts him and cherishes him. As we end today, the only way that we can get to be like John Harper is to fully understand that we are a part of God's family and that we are loved and we are cherished and all that he has done for us and what a joy it would be for us to sacrifice our lives for him. That's why Philippians is about the way up is down. If we want to be glorified with Christ, we have to emulate his humility in, in, in submitting our lives to him. The more that I lose in this life because I stepped out in boldness and shared in the fellowship of Jesus' suffering, the more joy there is produced in my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is truth. The more that you step out and sacrifice for Jesus in this life, the more joy will be produced in your heart that the enemy can't touch. Brothers and sisters, that is true. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for Paul and his example to us, for his words of wisdom that you uh, put in his pen. And I just pray this morning, Lord, all of us here this morning are dealing with issues that seek to drag our attention and our vision down this morning, may it be that your word and your spirit would lift our eyes up. May we see you, and may we submit to you and hand over to you today everything that's going on in our hearts and our lives so that you can do with them what you will. And we trust you, and we love you, and we can never repay you for what you have done for us. Lord, it is with great joy that we consider how Paul encouraged the Philippian believers this morning. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Jesus was with his disciples and he was seeking for them to fully understand that he was about to sacrifice himself, he established the last, what we call the Last Supper, the communion table for them to remember 
just like Paul was saying to the Philippians, remember, don't forget, remember. It is something that we need to do over and over again. So as we uh, share in communion together this morning, I pray that those words from Philippians would be on your minds. And there's a gratefulness in your heart as you contemplate uh, the, the communion table. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.